0: Alright, this is, uh, Christian Burns with the King Jesus Podcast, and I am joined by my guest, Brett McAtee, right? right? Right. Okay. And, uh, anyway, I, I'd been doing this podcast like two years ago, three years ago, and it was just me talking about stuff in the woods, and the, the idea was that I was from uh, from the standpoint that um, politically were you know the founders one of the one of the calls to action during the uh, war for independence was the the call of no King but Jesus and so kind of getting back to that idea and also just the, the idea that Jesus is already the king and uh, kind of working from that aspect so anyway I wanted to start the, the podcast up again I've been I haven't done any of these for like three years and um, I think the time is ripe for not just me talking but to have some other guests and uh, kind of talk about the politically the political season and what's going on and look at it so that our kids, you know, 20 years from now can look back and say, what were my dads talking about? And then they can, you know, how did they feel about what was going on? And then we'll have this record for posterity about, uh, why at least they'll know that not everybody was crazy. Hello. (laughs) Hey, Peter's here. Hey, how's it going? Who am I talking to? So Peter joined. So this is, um, Chris Burns and Brett McAtee. Hey, Chris. Hey, Brett. Hi, Peter. So we actually have just been hanging out for about 20 minutes, and so I just now started it. And so okay. um, we're going to record this and then uh, put it on the Internet so people can listen to it. Um, and so our kids down the road can uh, can hear what we think about politics and government and stuff. Okay. okay. And they can't – and no one's going to be allowed to shut us up. You know, we can just say whatever. But at the same time, I've kind of – here's the other thing. I want this to be done in a way that um, – I think Doug Wilson said it a really good way when he was talking about debating people. Um, debating in a way that when you're all done, you can sit down and have a beer with them and not um, be mad at each other. So right. I'd like to use like the kind of language that if a liberal listens to this, they're not going to think – I. Can't believe it, they're horrible people, and so I'm just try to keep it in a mindset that um, like we could sit down and have uh, beers with our liberal friends after they hear what we really think. Okay, makes sense. Yeah,
1: I don't have so, any liberal um, friends, but <laughs> I'll go ahead and keep and that in mind.
0: <laughs> see, I used to be that way too, and seriously, I, you know, I didn't have any friends that didn't go to church either, and um. I think that's one of the things I love about the internet is I have been able to like start to have dialogue with these people that I do not uh, agree with <laughs> politically at all
2: and uh it's
0: kind of interesting
2: so well especially through work I've met a lot of people like that uh so hasn't been a big deal learning how to uh how to interact with them so that uh you know I can avoid taking them off enough to uh, still be on good terms when it comes to the end of a discussion but yeah, generally generally how I uh, how I speak depends on who I'm speaking to. Yeah, so I want to keep it on a level
0: that we're speaking to those people too. Gosh, gotcha. because they're going to listen in. So.
2: Okay. Uh, and I want to
0: eventually the the goal is to, you know, bring anyone who starts to listen to this on an ongoing basis. I want to bring them into our mindset and convert them to our way of thinking. So, uh, we got to we got to work at, you know, being nice, but I mean, we're we're gonna tick people off that's just the way it is too but okay try to do it in a in a good way so what's the big uh what's the big news uh lately what what are you guys thinking about what's really got you going right now
2: um, uh well me personally um strikes me that there was something that I actually saw this afternoon that uh Got me going, but I don't recall what it is at the moment. But the main thing I've been thinking about over the past week uh, uh, is, uh, you know, not particularly unique. It's it's the uh, the uh, Obama spending spree that uh, I've been focusing on over the past week, mainly because uh, of getting a group, a Campaign for Liberty group, uh, going in our area. It's been having me thinking about that.
0: Uh, I was just. Um... I was just reading about the CPAC Convention and they were talking about the uh, campaign for Liberty people just just blanketing the CPAC Convention with uh with volunteers yeah. and how people are not really uh I was actually reading a a UK article about it and so um, they were saying that they were getting a lot of traction with people at the CPAC convention because uh You know everything that Ron Paul has been saying has kind of been uh, true. It's all come out, and um, and it's all. You think about that. Everyone in the campaign, of of all the people that were running for president, Ron Paul was the only one who said about like our economic situation. This is the way it is, and this is how you fix it. And nobody else. And nobody else. It seems like. Said that, or even was close.
2: exactly, and yeah, uh, they're not going you know, after. Uh, you know, actually, uh, uh, I see uh, uh, two main issues uh, related to that that uh, I think we need to be keeping in mind at the moment. And one is that uh, this is something I've I've really seen over the past couple of weeks. Um, all the Republicans, all the conservatives, all the libertarians, even some of the uh, uh, you know right right- leaning uh, Democrats, um, all of them are kind of on our side at the moment. They all dislike Obama, they're all upset about what's happening with with uh, with uh, the spending and and uh, you know just out of control um, uh, government spending, which is great, but um, uh, one thing that uh, we have to keep in mind and I've been reminding myself. Is that um, all, all these people who seem to be on our side at the moment um, tend to be upset about what's going on for different reasons than we are, and so it's it's easy to get sidetracked and and, and you know just just smile and nod at these people and and you know sit back and bask in the uh, in the fact that finally somebody agrees with us. And actually, a lot of people agree with us, but then. But then the reality is that a lot of these Republicans, for instance, who are holding um these tea parties across the country and that sort of thing they're they're angry at Obama, which is good, but they're angry at him um sometimes for the wrong reasons, and even if it's for the right reasons, they're still angry at Obama for things that they were not angry at Bush for doing when Bush did the exact same the exact same thing. That's one thing I think that uh that uh we need to keep in mind um the other thing is that uh dovetailing off of that since all these people are um on uh in a way the same side as we are at the moment um like you said, a lot of these people are really open and are really receptive to uh what um what campaign for liberty what ron paul and uh uh, what other um, uh, people who preach a uh, basically a good biblical view of government have to say. And so that's those that, those are the the two main points that uh, I think need to be kept in mind.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think everybody was surprised that Ron Paul pulled so well at CPAC. I think he was thirteen percent, which which actually wasn't. Wasn't too bad. Uh, no, I, not at all. I, I have to agree with Peter that um, right now it's uh, there's a season of discontent. But there was a season of discontent during FDR too, when he did this kind of thing back in the um, back in the 1930s. So it's all, it's largely going to depend upon which way the uh, who can manipulate the public opinion and the um, in the mass media as oh, to wow. how successful this. This campaign is—he's got the votes uh, to push this through. There's really not much that the Republicans can do to to stop now. Now we're talking about the budget, of course, which is obscene. Uh, so he's got the votes. So it's just—it's um, just a matter of whether or not he has the political will to use the votes in the face of what's happening with the with Wall Street and the Dow Jones. So and I also' going to note that it's inter- it is interesting that Ron Paul is the one that's coming out looking so well on this because. It's Ron Paul that they're going after for the interviews. It's not Rudy Giuliani, it's not Mitt Romney, it's not John McCain. It's it's Ron Paul. They're they're getting on the shows and saying, okay, what do you think about the economy? What's going on here?
2: I think the only thing that Ron
1: Paul has to be vindicated on yet, and I think he will be vindicated, is on his view on the um, on the war in the Middle East. So we'll see how that plays out. I did.
0: I really did think it was interesting that um, that Obama is pushing for getting us completely out of Iraq, but at the same time he's looking to put more troops in Afghanistan.
2: And I, yeah, I was just listening how to, many? It was like seventeen thousand more troops or twenty thousand, something like that. Yeah, and, and I was just listening to uh, this
0: historian talking about. Um, It was a really interesting interview with this historian, and um, I can't remember his name, but I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But he um, was saying that in Afghanistan, the goal has always been to try to get us to get more troops in there so that we can get our nose bloodied more and um, because no one ever wins there you know and you right. can't and the the only reason we won so quick in Afghanistan before is that we didn't go in we had special forces go in and go straight to the northern alliance and start recruiting people that are already there to um to kick out the Taliban and so we're going to go and do basically he said we're going to go and do the stupid thing now and um we're going to do what obama what uh Sorry. We're going to go do what Osama bin Laden wanted us to do in the beginning, which was send a ton of our own troops over there, and so that he can fight us face to face in in something that we would never win, eventually. And uh, I thought that was really, <laughs> really interesting.
2: Yeah, because the whole thing basically,
0: basically is an our baby effect, right? Yeah, it's, he's saying basically that Iraq's not um, the Iraq is not. Uh, is not our Vietnam Afghanistan is going to be our Vietnam
2: right and as we saw with uh, Vietnam I mean people like to and, and and I have no idea as far as as far as predicting things if Afghanistan will turn out to be as bad as Vietnam um casualty-wise certainly both of the wars have already turned out to be far worse than Vietnam financial financially Um but it's interesting that uh vietnam um people like to uh, talk about how oh you know there's no similarity between the two, but uh the Vietnam War took several years to actually really heat up to the point where um there were there were soldiers dying every day it was it was uh kind of on uh on the back burner for for a long time right I think what people need to realize about uh
1: Afghanistan is a you probably can't heat up in Afghanistan without it widening into Pakistan, and that yeah. that presents real problems uh, immediately. They're gonna they're gonna run into that. Um, I don't know how they avoid it. Another thing they need to realize is that Afghanistan, historically speaking, has been the death knell of empires. Uh, we remember Russia because that's in most of our lifetimes, but uh, people don't remember that Britain back in the 19th century. Uh, they had their own problems, likewise, in Afghanistan. So yes. it's you know it's not a good idea. I'm not sure what's what's trying what's being attempted to be accomplished at this particular point in Afghanistan. Um, again, greater minds than mine are probably at work, or so they say.
0: Hey, I wanted to introduce Perry. Uh, just joined the call. Perry, go ahead and say hi.
3: Good evening, gentlemen. How's it
0: going? Hey, so Perry, you're in Texas, right?
3: That's correct. I'm in the hill country just northwest of
1: San Antonio.
0: Okay. And then Brett, where are you at?
2: I'm in Michigan. In the Lansing area. Okay. Okay. And Peter? And I'm in uh, California near Sacramento.
0: Cool. Okay. So, uh. Sorry, Christian, you're you in Washington in State. Oh yeah, so I'm up in Northwest Washington.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, but getting back to getting back to Afghanistan again, we're back with LBJ in terms of guns and butter. We're trying to have it. We're trying to have it both ways. We're trying to have. We're trying to run a war and spend the money it takes to do that, and then we're trying to. We're trying to do everything here in terms of. Uh, Making the government responsible. We're right back to what uh, Randolph Bourne talked about, and that's the welfare warfare state. And that's they and they always go together. And that's what bothers me about a lot of Republicans, even the popular ones like Limbaugh, is that they get the welfare state thing usually, at least one end of it.
2: They don't get the corporate welfare, but they get the other end of it.
0: And and that's the thing lately.
2: What's that? That's that's the thing lately is that um, Republicans have, uh, with Obama in office, become a lot more consistent. About opposing the uh, welfare state, and they've they've actually become at least on the surface um a lot better uh, about being vocal against it, about uh condemning the spending, condemning the deficit, condemning the welfare uh, but yeah, like you're saying they they still think that, that the answer is to um have a more aggressive warfare state, yeah, and the thing is though with the
1: budget, you sometimes wonder though if they even get the welfare because at least what I've been reading, forty percent of the earmarks in the budget, and those, and I've heard numbers of anywhere between four thousand and nine thousand earmarks in that budget. Forty percent of them are coming from Republicans. So
0: right.
1: you, you look at that and you think,
2: what? I, you know, well, what's that all about?
1: But anyway, yeah, uh, w- w-
2: w- when I say Republicans, I would, I, I would, uh, uh, in general, more be talking about the voter base and the actual people. Oh, the House. voter base. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, or or you know people like Limbaugh and and, and what have you. Yeah. Uh, so I, again, just to round off the point I was making, if you're going to be a
1: consistent um, Christian at this point, it, you ha, you have to oppose both the welfare and the warfare state because they they imply each other. They go hand in hand. And the problem that we get with a with a lot of people is that they want to be opposed to the welfare, but they still they still are wearing their patriotic flag pins about you know extension of the empire and oh. the two imply each other
2: yeah
3: you're not kidding I had a uh, conversation with a young man in his early 20s who worked for me this winter and just because his brother was serving in the army he couldn't comprehend that the war was an unconstitutional thing that he had to oppose um, it was well, I have to support my my brother, and they're spending money on th- other things anyway. So they might as well spend money on the war to keep my brother safe. He couldn't even uh, grasp a principial approach to uh, to the war. It was all red, white, and blue, and uh, God save our troops.
2: What's curious? I couldn't is get through is- to I
3: couldn't even get through to him on that level, you know.
2: Yeah. What's curious is that um, I have. It, it, it seems like a larger number of of the actual troops themselves seem to get what's wrong with the war and to understand that um that um, they're not over there to uh fight for our country's freedom more than the people who are close to them. A uh, case in point is a friend of mine is a uh, Marine reservist and he was over in Iraq. He came back and and you know, he tells all of us yeah, we're not over there to do anything that has uh any anything to do with um with preserving our country's freedom. Uh we're basically just over there to um free the Iraqis and he i I don't care about doing that because they're not my people. And and uh his family and uh friends who are mostly staunch Republicans, um all continued and continue to be uh far more uh, staunch supporters of the war than he is. Yeah. It's
1: unfortunate most Christians don't realize that um, one effect of us going into Iraq is that what Christian community was in Iraq had to emigrate out of Iraq because of um, the persecution that resulted, because everything things were being turned over to an Islamic type of mindset. And so there was a community of of ancient uh, ancient Iraqi Christian community um and from what i've read they uh immigrated to Syria because the persecution was getting so bad so three cheers for the United States for pushing the Christians were, those that were there out of Iraq yeah. yeah not
3: not to contradict you too far but i think George Grant is still working with uh, a small segment of Christians I, I know most of them have moved but he was trying to plant a classical Christian school called the School of the Medes and the Persians. Really? Where they were try, trying to, yeah. This was several years ago. He referred to it in, uh, he he actually referred to standing in uh, an Iraqi church that was planted by Scottish Presbyterians 150 years ago in the Vision Forms History of the World lectures I was listening to That's last cool. year. Yeah. There is a small remnant, but yeah, we've and it just strikes me as ironic with this uh, dispensational support of Israel. It's kind of a a mere issue. Um, we're rah rah Israel with no consideration of the effects of what it's doing to the Palestinian Church, such as it is. in The same way that we're all about freeing the Iraqis without considering the implications of uh, our actions on the Iraqi Church, either. Yeah,
2: and it's that's a problem that's. Uh endemic among Americans is that we can't view what we look at the Palestinians for instance and we can't view the Palestinians as composed of multiple people groups we view them we view them just as as one whole it's it's related i think to the american problem where they can't view um um opposing sides in a conflict somewhere in the world as both wearing black hats one ha- one has to be wearing A black hat and one has to be wearing a white hat, as far as both Americans are concerned.
1: Yeah, that's that's a great point. It it goes back to, you know, it's something I commonly say is, you know, what do I care? I don't have a dog in that fight. You know, my dog died a long time ago. It's, it's, yeah, I care. I care because, you know, we're getting in the middle of a hornet's nest. But beyond that, let them work their
2: problems out. Exactly.
3: Yeah, agreed. My pastor reminded me that recently I uh, had been doing some reading on, on the horrible conditions in Burma. And I asked him, I, I said, there's got to be something we can do, call my congressman or something. And he said, you know, we can't solve every country's problems. And that's a tendency that Americans have uh, tend to have. And uh, sometimes things do need to work their way out because... God's justice is at work. You know, a people may have been um, in rebellion against God and these hard things that we grieve over are His providential way of working out His justice. And we just, um, we can't always stop it. We can't always fix it. We just have to accept it and pray for the people involved.
2: Wise man. And if you think about that, that could could play into one reason that Americans don't usually want to accept that explanation because accepting that explanation um you know the natural extension of that then is that the same thing could happen here in America. Hmm. Or or is happening. Or, is or that
3: we have to repent for the last 70 years of empire expansion.
0: Right.
1: You mean I, when you say the same thing is happening here in America, you mean in terms of uh of, of God's uh, justice being meted out against us? Is that what you mean?
0: Yes. Well, I'm kinda yeah, I I think that we um you know, we I think we're getting we're getting what we deserve, you know? And um we really <laughs> we just watched a funny uh movie. My wife and I uh we watched a kids movie last night and I wouldn't we're not actually gonna let our kids watch it, but it was uh uh, nanny McPhee, and um, there's this hideous nanny that shows up, and these kids are all, all horrid, and basically she gets them to to obey by giving them exactly what they want and what they claim they want, and and uh, and I and I think that's what we're getting, you know, in America we're getting what we've really really, really this is our answer we're getting it, and I think we're just we're going to choke on it. And um, the, the, really the question is how do, we, how do we live while in the midst of this, and how do we try to be faithful in the midst of it?
2: Right.
0: Um, I, I, I've kind of thought, you know, you can stand there and say, you know, well, we can't do this. This is unconstitutional, all you want. But the reality is, is we're in the rapids, and you have to point your canoe downhill, you know, downstream, and start paddling with the current and try to make for the shore. And, um, you know, how do we do that as uh, as constitutional uh, conservatives, or you know, how, do, how do you do that? It's, it's really, that's really the question right now kind of before me is, you know, what does this all mean in the midst of it?
1: Well, for pastors, what it mean, they can... have to introduce typical concepts on these issues uh, to to your people, because our people aren't getting it. They're not getting place else, right? So if they don't get it in the church, where are they going to get it? I mean, face it, most of our people are not readers. They're not going to pick up Rush Dooney or they're not going to pick up Grant. And so if they don't get it from the Sunday school or from the pulpit, then they're going to just get they're just going to get taken down the rapids and think that's the way it's supposed to be. So the church has got to be responsible for some of these things. And I know there's a lot of divided minds out there, even in the Reformed world, about about that statement.
3: What, what do you mean by bad statements?
1: I, uh, I'm sorry, I meant that statement.
3: Oh, that statement. Yeah, well, I it, I think this is another thing, this idea of repentance um, and accepting God's judgment uh, is very uh, counterintuitive to the American mind. I remember, even within the Reconstructionist world, back after 9-11, when Doug Wilson published a piece in Credenda Agenda on national repentance... And this being a sign of God's judgment because of open sodomy, because of abortion, and there was some pushback even within the the Reconstructionist camp that, um, I think the Andrew Sandlin's article in particular, talking about how we can't presume to know the mind of God. Um, And he wasn't the only one, by far, It's just the only one I remember, And, and really taking Wilson to task, guys taking Wilson and others to task for suggesting we needed to repent when harsh providence crossed
1: our path. Um yeah. so, well, you know, those those accidents tend to happen, right? <laughs> right.
2: you know and that would that would raise a question in my mind, which is um, you know, I I I agree that um uh if we're not already being judged that uh, certainly judgment is likely to come. But the question is is it really necessary for people to acknowledge that as long as as long as they acknowledge that there is a need for repentance whether or not there is a judgment coming right. well
3: that that was my next point is that the constitutional arguments have to be coupled at some point with repentance I think um, and that's that's really I think in my mind the key to averting this that's how Nineveh stayed you know how God stayed his hand over Nineveh um if it is by national repentance, and what we've had a pattern of for eight or ten years in our country is kind of high handedness you know I took my breath away when our president, after nine eleven um, he he took he took a Muslim and somebody else into the national cathedral and had a prayer service instead of you know and then cranked up the military instead of thinking. Um, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, we will remember the name of our God, you know, and repenting. Well, yeah,
1: and despite 9-11, that, that, that service, is the following Friday, despite that, Christians still don't get it. You, you point to them and you say, look, look what he just did. He brought all the gods into the church. <laughs>
0: right. Look what he
1: did. And, and they just, they, they still are doing their snapping their salute to the flag. I, I'm sorry, I don't get it.
3: Well, I think one thing that's going to be tough for the church, and I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this, is I know by and large my my uh, grandparents' generation. I'm, I'm in my mid 30s. My grandparents' generation was the the Roosevelt generation. Um, they tended towards a pessimistic view of eschatology um, because of the depression, and they lost hope. The, the Dow closed or somewhere around seven thousand today, I think.
2: Oh, it was below 7,000. Was it? And, yeah, and it we're was headed below for... 7, for the first time since 1997, I believe I said. Right.
3: How, how do we preach a message of hope as post-millennialists, especially in the political sphere when you've got, uh, you know, it looks like we're headed head-on for a freight train. It looks like a long, slow, um, pessimistic depression. How do you have any credibility in the public sphere teaching hope? Um, I don't know, maybe maybe the key is teaching repentance first.
2: And, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm probably not the best person to, to speak on this, but uh, uh, my personal opinion would be that uh, beyond, beyond preaching repentance, that, of course, is one of the most important things. But in addition to preaching repentance, um, American Christians really need to recognize as As they oftentimes will admit they have recognized, but I don't think they really internalize it. they need to recognize that um their hope is not in uh wealth and having a big house and having two or three cars and so on and so forth, and that's something that I don't think most of them really like I said internalize
0: I think. I kind of think it's just living in a manner that's not pessimistic, you're living uh, with joy in the midst of it. You're looking for to be thankful for the things we have, thankful for the food that's on table, and and being thankful for what you're what what God's giving you um, in the midst of everything. And then you look at you know, the extra burden of like retirement savings, you know, going down and. All, all your portfolios and all these other things, just to just open up your hands and say, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really give this to you, Lord."
2: And in the midst <laughs> of
0: it, I know that one, you know, when the day comes, you're gonna take care of me. Yeah, it's easy for me to say because I don't have a 401k, you know. <laughs> but I, <laughs> but uh, I, I we we haven't had a better year economically in our family than these last two years, and Year that we're in now is going to be you know, the best ever, and we're buying a house this next week, and can't believe it. You know, we thought there's no way we're ever going to be able to afford a house with a, a single income and all this other stuff, and you know, God's blessing me by you know, letting me buy a house that someone got foreclosed on a year and a half ago, and was you know, they let it get completely run down and and fall apart, and so now you know, we get the chance to try to, to rebuild it, and uh, it's just, I think it's having that idea of just being grateful, and and have that outlook that God is, you know, whatever is going to come, you know, we're going to serve God, and instead of, you know, oh, oh my gosh, you know, this is all going to crumble and go away, which is, uh, yeah, that <laughs> yeah, is, I don't know the answer, I don't know. If I had, you know, ten thousand dollars, I don't in savings or in retirement. My, I don't know what I would do with it right now. I'm not sure, but um, I think that's a. Those are really interesting questions to ask. You know, the pessimism is the stock market going to completely collapse and go away. You know, what would be rebuilt, and it's actually you know, the idea of the Fed and and all this other stuff. You know, or how are we going to How are we going to transfer from what's going on now? What are we going to look like on the other side of this? And um, I have no idea. Well, I don't
1: don't think our post-millennialism, though, needs to get in the way of realism. I mean, certain things are what they are, and we can believe that in 3,000 years, God continues to build up his kingdom. It doesn't have to be in America. You know, Rome fell. There's no reason there's no reason why we can. I'm not saying we're going to, but postmodernism doesn't require me to think that America is going to be the vehicle in my generation or even my children's generation of God ushering in the kingdom. It may come in another land at another time.
2: Right. And we can, and we can point back to uh horrible times, you know, not just not just a hundred years ago, but hundreds of years ago, 1000 years ago when right. um when when the killing
3: times in scotland
2: exactly right. when 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 people went through horrible horrible things you know christians were killed non-christians were killed life was hard but at the same time the world you know obviously kept going on and uh... hasn't uh, obviously hasn't ended yet and um... these people uh... maintained their faith in god those that were christians and and post-millennialism is not disproved by the fact that horrible things happen to us. Right. Or even
1: that we think that in the short term they might happen to us, or they could very likely happen to us. Right.
3: Well, no, and hearing, hearing you guys, your answers, thank you. That uh, It occurs to me that, uh, well, it reminds me of the quote of Robert E. Lee, who, uh, you know, the life of man is so short and the span of history is so long, and, and it's history that teaches us to hope. That's a great um, quote. I, yeah. yeah, and I, I think that uh, we, we we get... It, it's a scriptural principle. I did a word search on Deuteron- in Deuteronomy once on remember, and uh, we remember or learn history so that our children... It says so that your children will be righteous, um, so that you'll remember the things that I've done for you. Um, you'll remember my law. Um, we, we gain that post-millennial hope, I think. Um, by remembering that God doesn't work necessarily always in America through us not being proud and remembering his law through history. I mean, he could, that's what gives us perspective, I think, internally to us. That's the church. That's the key is knowing history and holding on to history with two hands in the scripture.
2: Yeah.
1: I want to go back just a little bit about the, what was spoken a few minutes ago about Doug Wilson. I think there's a key point there. Um, and Rush Duny brings this book out in his book on um, on history. And it's the idea that that Christians today they seem to to see history or natural events as being as being mechanical or cause and effect. Uh, a hurricane hits um, uh New Orleans and they explain it in terms of uh weather fronts and high pressure areas. And Rushdunis Point in his book was that this is a a very terrible way to see providence. It it depersonalizes God, as opposed to seeing that God is involved in everything that happens and God is directly acting. And I think that's one thing that Wilson was trying to capture, and I applaud him for that. Is that um, you know those planes flying, those uh, large planes flying the tall buildings, that wasn't some kind of impersonal act. Hurricane Katrina hitting the Gulf Coast wasn't just some kind of impersonal act. God is involved in these things. And at least Doug is asking the questions, okay, how? What's God doing? What's God saying? I don't think he can be faulted. Doug Wilson can't be faulted for asking that question.
2: No, no, not at all.
0: Yeah, and even the, so a statement like that is so foreign to uh, people that don't hold a, hold that view. So if you don't hold the view that um God allows this stuff for a reason, you know, because there's the there's the opposing view that you know the devil's at work, you know, and God's hands are tied, and you know we have to oppose the acts of Satan as much as we can and and uh which yeah that's where where I was at the time of nine eleven was you know that kind of that kind of thinking, but um
2: Well, you know what's interesting you know, being, is that
0: so be like being a dad, like so like being a dad, you know, you know that when discipline, you have time, you have to discipline your kids. You're doing it because you love them. You know, you want to, them to be, uh, to to come around. You know, and so I think the idea that God, you know, he does everything that God does, is because he loves us, and he loves all of us, and he wants to. Uh, he's doing it out of love, and it's hard for us to see that. You know, when people are dying, um, he's—is this accurate that he's he's working on a, a nation, on a people, and and things that seem horrible are happening. But um, it's because we're looking at it from down here, and if you're looking at it from where God is, yeah, you know, if we're trusting His viewpoint, um, it all makes sense. Is that
1: accurate? Is that right? Well, I think it falls the, under the umbrella. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
3: Well, and the psalmist says, "the uh, to say the judgments of the Lord are pure and righteous altogether." Um, it's yeah, I, I think you're right. It's the creator creature distinction worked out in the flesh, and it's just a little bit hard to remember that sometimes. And we see people suffering and dying around us.
2: Yeah, and it's it's hard for us to understand, you know, as, as humans who care about each other and about other uh, about you who who care about other people. Um, to understand that uh this is really just kind of a, a bigger picture um uh type I'm not really sure what the word is I'm looking for. But it, but it's similar to uh to um a parent punishing their child, but for us, that's harder to accept than um, it might sound because when God punishes man, oftentimes that results in death or destruction or something along those lines, which is just hard for us to accept.
1: Right. At that point, we want to put God in the dock and make him cop up an explanation. Right.
3: Yeah, but we we really need to cultivate uh, attitudes like Job's and King David's that we see modeled in the Scripture. I was reading uh, last week, I think it was, the story of David arrogantly ordering a census of the people. The word of the Lord came to him and he said, "I'll, I'll give you three choices... And, uh, it was, uh, to be made, I think it's to be made a mockery of by man in front of all of Israel or to be chased by man or to fall into my hand. And David said, Lord, don't let me fall into, um, the hand of man, but let me stay, you know, let, I, I'm afraid to fall into the hand of man. And, uh, thousands of people died in Israel and David repented and acknowledged, I believe in that story that, uh. You know, God knows what He's doing. He's done justly. I've sinned. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, and similarly to to what Job did, but uh, it's certainly not a natural reaction, is it?
1: Not at all. So, what are you guys going to do with your um, with your portion of the stimulus package?
3: <laughs> My welfare check.
1: <laughs> yeah, you going to go out and buy a a car and stimulate the economy, or are you going to what are you going to do with it?
2: Now, which check, or what exactly, are we talking about here?
1: The check we're going to get, you know, and we're going to spend almost a trillion dollars in, in stimulus. I figure each of us have a piece, and I just want to know what your what your plans are.
2: Oh, that that check, that check. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, a new car would be nice.
1: Maybe you can pay those California
2: taxes. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably wait, what wait. a large chunk of mine will go to. <laughs> so you're
3: you're going to need some of it to cover the. Uh the extra taxes you'll pay when your charitable donations are no longer tax deductible too so don't forget that
2: <laughs> well you yeah, know I as as a uh, independent contractor i'm uh, i don't i'm not subject to withholding and so come april 15 i actually have to send a nice big big check to the government so maybe that's where that's where part of my stimulus check will go <laughs> now who is that was that peter yeah that that's peter okay
1: well, obviously, you know, going back to that issue, you can't. It, it just confounds me the Keynesian approach that for every dollar you spend, you'll generate a dollar fifty in the in the market or in the economy. If that were true, then why wouldn't we spend a trillion dollars every year?
2: Exactly, as uh, Rick Santelli said. Oh, did he say that? Yeah, no, he said that. He said uh, he uh... if if uh the uh, multiplier of our expenditures is is anything above 1 then you know we should be spending a trillion dollars every day because yeah, I because
1: mean, I just wish somebody would explain it to me I I I don't know how smart people come up with this stuff
2: Yeah I i I mean you know maybe maybe if I'd studied economics more or which unfortunately uh, you know I'm I'm in the process of doing, but I have not actually formally studied economics very much uh, at this point. But maybe if I if I did so uh, to a larger extent, I would be able to comprehend um, some of these arguments in favor of deficit spending and um, stimulating the economy through uh, through these massive government bailouts. But at at this point, I, I simply don't understand it. Well,
3: you probably took too much logic or something. I mean, (laughs) my understanding is that we're in this mess because we spent money individually that we don't have, so we're going to get out of it, they say, by spending money corporately that we don't have. It's a little mystifying. Yeah,
1: Yeah, Yeah. so we got into the problem by spending money on houses, money that we didn't have, and so now we're going to spend money as a government that we don't have. We're in debt, and so the answer to being in debt is to go more in debt. It didn't, you know, they, it, Jim, Jim Powell's work on um, Franklin and Roosevelt and the Great Depression, and, and then Amity uh wrote a book on the same issue, and they both, they both come out at the end of their book saying, look, the Roosevelt program, this package, its spending, it prolonged, it prolonged the Depression. And yet nobody seems to be listening to these people who have written books on this subject in the last three to five years. We're just going to shut our eyes and do it again.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I don't think people are paying attention to it. Maybe it just hasn't been publicized enough. Or, you know, it could simply be that it has been publicized enough and, and people are, are, are willfully closing their ears to it. But uh, what was his name? Henry Morgenthau, uh, yeah. who was uh, the Treasury Secretary under FDR for actually FDR's entire presidency um, uh, in the late 30s, I believe it was, uh, said, yeah, you know, we we've, we've tried spending, uh, we've we've spent and spent and spent until so we can't spend anymore, and it just doesn't do anything. It, it has no effect. In fact, it makes things worse. And, yeah, and he, he the breathtaking. Admitted,
3: well, the, I was just going to say the breathtaking thing is if, as you listen to um, the economists who are talking, as if they know something about how to fix the economy on NPR or any of the mainstream media, everything I keep hearing over and over like a mantra is, Roosevelt's problem was he didn't spend enough soon enough. (laughs) And and it takes my breath away, the ignorance of the statements. And it makes me tremble because what are they going to do if they have their way, you know?
1: Yeah, it's the same thing they say about Japan, right? Japan becomes the mile in the 90s. And the thing they keep on saying about Japan is Japan didn't spend fast enough. Right. (laughs) Has has
3: anybody um, on the call seen the movie Demographic Winter yet? Yes.
1: Yeah. Actually, is is this Peter? Yeah. Yeah. I saw it at your place when I was out there in May, actually.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. My dad's uh, made it his personal uh, personal crusade to show it to as many people as he can.
3: (laughs) I I just watched it about two weeks ago, and the point they made in that uh, film about the, the, the baby boomers hitting the peak of their earning potential in 2009 or 2010 and then starting to decline in terms of numbers and buying power. And then they, they contrasted that with Japan, which already went cycle in the 90s um, because they didn't have a baby boom and their population was in steep decline. And then yeah. you lay over top of that the bursting of the bubble And that starts to make me kind of queasy, because by the time our economy manages to recover, we're going to be in a declining population, which won't be able to sustain growth for a little while, it looks like, if they're right.
1: And not only won't be able to sustain growth, we'll we'll be the ones that are looking for all those goodies being handed out by Uncle Sam. Right. So this begs the question, let's assume that these people are smart, that are doing all this, and that, let's assume that they know that this isn't going to work. So then the question would be, well, then what are they trying to do? Well, I think they really
0: believe that it would work. I, I think, think they so, really huh? – I really do. I really, I really think, well, either they believe it's going to work or um, they're go- they are going to believe that it's a necessary uh, – it, it's a 50-50 shot kind of thing. I, what did Biden say? Did he say that it was like a – there's a 30% chance that it won't work.
2: <laughs> yeah. If we do everything <laughs> and, yeah.
0: perfectly right. And then so I heard someone te- you know, comment on that and say that he was probably, you know, putting it nice and low, but he probably thinks it's a 50-50 shot. And because it, <laughs> that's the only thing they have to do. Like it's the only thing they know. And I think they really believe they believe it. I think they really believe it. And um, that's what's really scary is they in, in their world, they honestly believe this is what it takes to fix it and and which means they have no idea and um i I've been listening to some uh podcasts with um this uh it's, i can't remember the name of the guy but the the podcast is called econ talk um and he uh he's an economist and he interviews different economists and um they just, you know they're laughing at this going you know yeah. They one whole interview with this guy who's um, Kenyanism uh, guy explaining how it all you know how the how it works and if you spend a dollar you know at the at the restaurant you know it helps to employ the waitress she goes and spends money and how you know the the goal is for you to do things that are not in your personal self interest the goal is to get you to spend money so that others can have and instead of saving up. You know, because if you start to hoard and save and make, you know, live, you know, so your whole personal family's economy is healthy, you know, you're taking money from other people. It's just, re- it's, so it's like everyone acting in the interest of everybody else by by just taking it all right to the line and spending as much as you can afford <laughs> to <thing>. spend. <It's> <laughs> yeah, crazy.
3: Whoever thought a- that actually <laughs> got your visa would be so noble.
0: <laughs> so this, this the there's guy an elder, doing the there's an elder The guy who was doing the interview uh, you know, obviously disagrees with the guy he was he was interviewing and so you know, another interview later with somebody else, you know, they're really talking about what we really need to do is let the market work. Let people let these organizations fail so that new organizations can rise from the ashes and can in but instead of propping everything up the way they are, it's just ridiculous. And so there's you know, there's smart people out there that know how it's gonna go or it should go. And the question is, because it's being um tainted with all this, we don't know how it's gonna go.
2: You know, Clint Eastwood, um uh, I, I didn't watch the clip but I saw saw a headline uh he was on, I don't know, Jay Leno or, or uh uh one of lit, lit, one of the late night uh, talk shows uh a day or two ago and uh he basically said that same thing and uh what what was interesting about the way he said it though is is he pointed out that um uh Studebaker and Packard and and these other car companies they failed. They were these big huge name car companies that, you know, were, were, were giants of the industry and, and they failed and nobody bailed them out. And our country survived just fine and came back with, with new companies that did it better. (laughs) And, and that's something that people, people just, uh, you know, don't seem to realize. Yeah. The unfortunate thing though,
1: is that money is that people think that money is going to the car industries but it's not going to the car industry it's going to the unions that's what that money's all about that's payback that's payoff by the obama administration uh yeah. to that constituency well realize this gave a
0: lot of money too but they're trying to shore up their um by by keeping them strong and by by helping them to not fail then they're keeping uh their union base alive Because the more union you have, the the more chance that you're going to keep that you you keep winning elections for the Democrats. It's really it's so funny because like it's so obvious. You're not calling this payback, and you know it seems like liberals can't see it. It is oh no 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 you know you know the unions are about you know making sure that people are taken care of, but it's all in their own self interest. so there. Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I quiet. I'm like, whoa. Uh, all right, so uh anything else? I we should probably wrap this up. We're right at about an hour of recording and I'd like to do this. Um I don't know if we can do it on a weekly basis. Um but I you know, we just kind of scratched the surface and I'd love to dig deeper on some of this stuff uh later on some other time. So uh
2: Anyway, do you guys Sounds want to good. Just up? let me know.
3: Really cool. Yeah, I'm okay. game whenever I'm available.
2: So yeah, I'll I tend to have a pretty general. flexible schedule.
0: Okay. Cool. Well, then I'm gonna cut it off here, and we'll get together some other time. Uh, this has been, let's see, Christian, and Perry, and Brett, and Peter, uh, and uh, I'm gonna post this up on, um, on my King Jesus podcast blog, and. Uh, Hopefully we'll get some feedback if you have feedback. Um, I guess there'll be a link on the show notes there. Let's see. I should probably oh, it'll be stated in the uh within the file I'll have the link to everything. So Alright, thanks a lot guys. All right, guys, guys, gotcha buds. All right.
3: Goodbye, goodbye.
0: now. Bye-bye.